Welcome back to episode three of our uh, after show, Splintering Back. About all about twelve monkeys. Uh, and let me just say right off the bat, this might be my favorite episode of the series. Um, There's so much fun, so much going on. We see Colin uh, Cassie go uh, splinter back to 1944. Uh, fine messengers. It's, you know, Ramsey comes back. It's craziness. Uh, but it was so much fun, so much fun. Uh, let me just let me just in, get an introduction so we can just knock that out of the way and get into the show because it was a lot of fun tonight. Um, I'm your host, Pacing Pete. Uh, alongside, uh, always, is Miss Lauren Galloway. She is from The Flash Podcast, The Marvel Report, and Comic Book Resources. Welcome back, Lauren. Hello. Oh, my gosh. Uh, tonight's episode was so freaking cool. Um, and, and let me just, I'll, I'll let you have the floor for right now because I know you love period pieces and this was so much fun. Tell me what you thought of tonight's episode. I love tonight's episode. I've been looking forward to this episode since, since sci-fi released those initial press images. I think it was back in January of Cole and Cassie, you know, Cole had the suit on and Cassie had the dress on. And I was so excited to see what they were going to do in the forties and like mad props to whoever picked the music for this episode because it opened with pistol pack and mama, which is one of my favorite songs from that era. They used in agent Carter. It's such a fun, like bouncy kind of fresh song. And like, it was great. It's just, I just love it when shows that I like kind of cross over with vibes of other shows. Like, this was very kind of like Agent Carter, kind of gumshoe, noir, like the way that Cole is wearing his hat. I, I loved everything about it. And, like, the fashion was incredible. Like, the messenger, the woman who is played by um, actress Scotty Thompson, like, the way that she rolled her hair and the way that she, like, dressed, everything about it was, like, so true to period that... Like, besides it being this epic time travel episode where we kind of find out more about primaries, I just, I love the fact that it was set in the 40s. Yeah, it was so much fun. Um, and, you know, it's funny, We last week we talked about, uh, you know, uh, Ramsey, you know, just oozing with swag. But, you know, let's not forget Cole, who looks uh, pretty swaggy himself in that 1940s gear. Um, he looked pretty good too, especially that hat. He was rocking that thing. Um, now we kickstart the episode. You talked about the music playing in the background, but it definitely kind of runs parallel with the kind of brutal scene that we see with the messengers taking out people to, you know, steal their clothes, steal their clothes and, and fulfill their mission. Um, what was your thoughts on that opening sequence and how we got to see the brutality of the messengers and, and how far they're willing to go to get their mission done? That was intense. You know, I remember thinking when the messengers showed up at the compound in the finale, um, they had such an interesting language. Like, they sounded like they were from the past, which I didn't understand. But then when the two messengers started talking, like, you know, they have the dress on and the suit on and they come outside. And they, I think they talked to their chauffeur. They have the lingo down to a T. And so it's as if they were training their whole lives to go back to the 40s. So they knew how to talk like that. They knew, like, the right kind of, like, language and colloquialisms to say. So, like, it was it was interesting that, like, they get there, they kill people, they assume the identity, and they went right to the party. Like, they knew exactly where they were supposed to go, which, you know, it always scares me when the 12 Monkeys have an upper hand. Because that means that, like, our team, like, the our time travelers, that it's going to take them a bit longer to figure out, like, what's really going on. 
speaking of our team, you know, when we get back to 2044, uh, we almost have like a mini fight club going on with Deacon and uh, Cole going at it. Um, you know, and Ramsey's like cheering him on, which probably doesn't help matters. Um, you know, and, and you know, once they kind of pull apart, Cassie runs in. She's screaming at him, telling them to, you know, uh, you know, pretty much stop fighting. Uh, what did you think of, of how Cassie was able to pretty much calm Deacon down, make that stop, and then it was kind of hinted at by Deacon that they might have more of a relationship than what we might initially know. Yeah, I thought the fighting was interesting. And, like, for Deacon and Cole, like, they've probably fought like that before, so it wasn't too big of a deal. But I think it really surprised Cassandra. And I I love how Cole was like, go and nurse your wounds, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not afraid to take a cheap shot at him and remind him about his childhood. I think because that's the only leverage that they have on him. But, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm starting to worry of not yeah I guess worry is the right word I'm starting to worry about Cassandra because she really has taken to Deacon in terms of being her protector which is fine I understand the need to want to be protected you know especially in a, an unknown time period like 2044 you know Cassie is naturally going to gravitate to the strongest person in the room which is Deacon. And, you know, I can kind of understand their chemistry a little bit just because I, I like the actor who plays Deacon Todd Stashwick. I think he's great. But, like, in terms of storytelling, it's kind of like, come on, Cassie, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no, yeah, he'll protect you, <laughs> but he might have to kill a lot of people to do it. And are you sure you really want to, like, be around someone like that? Like, I understand why she is doing it, but I don't necessarily think it's the best thing for her to do. Yeah, she might have not picked the the right metaphorical bed to get in the or right person to get the metaphorical bed with, you know, um, because uh, who knows what Deacon has up his sleeve that that we haven't seen yet, you know. Uh, and then you know when when everyone's in the room with the machine, uh, I think Cole is briefly sp- talking with Katarina about it, and and you know says. Uh, Basically, like, you know, oh, I can't believe, like, Deacon has manipulated Cassie in some way, and, and that's how she is now. And, and you know, Katrina kind of says back to him, well, are you sure it's not the other way around? Because, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Cassie is kind of stringing Deacon along because of all, the position she's in and, and how she's had to adapt. I mean, remember, uh, in the last episode, we did learn that she was in 2044 for the last eight months, and, you know... She, there was nobody but Deacon and Katarina, and you know, obviously, she's going to gravitate more towards Deacon uh, because of what happened in the first episode with you know the whole jaundice, learning that he has jaundice, and, and so obviously they form, form some sort of partnership that might be more than what we see, um, and so obviously that leads to you know the like we talked about in the last episode with their brief truce, the hesitation for them to go back to 1944, but ultimately that's what they do. <clears throat> You know, and so they get back to, and so, you know, it, it starts off really with, with uh, Cassie uh, splintering back second. You know, we have Cole going first, but, you know, when they meet at the rendezvous point at the hotel, we learn that uh, Cole's been there for a couple months. You know, he's he's definitely gotten into uh, the time. You know, he's he's wearing the, the wardrobe uh, really well. He's he's talking to everybody like he knows, it. you know, he's talking to the, the hotel, uh, the bellhop that, you know, or, or uh, front desk guy that he, you know, 
talk to him like he knows him, like he's somebody that that is well known. Um, you know, he's ordering whiskey sours, which, by the way, isn't a terrible drink. It's actually a really good drink. But you know, he's he's really getting into this uh, this point in time when he's enjoying things, and she even points it out. You like it here. And, and, you know, he just kind of, you know, shrugs it off. And, and uh, But what did you think of, of how they met? And, and, I mean, it's only been a couple months, and Cole's already assimilated to this time to the point where he could be pretty much comfortable there. I really liked seeing that. And, like, one more thing I want to say about Cassie. I, I was just thinking this as you were talking. Like, Cassie, the first thing she did when she met Cole was she fixed his gunshot wound, like way back in the like first season. And then this, the first thing she does when she sees Deacon is she she healed him, like she got him his meds. So I kind of wonder if Cassie has this whole kind of like reverse like Florence Nightingale complex where like she has to. Like, she has to take care of people, but, like, when she does, like, she forms a bond. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if that may be what is happening with Deacon as well. Like, because she's a nurturer, like, she naturally finds these really broken men and just wants to nurture them. And maybe the reason that she and Deacon have chemistry is because, like, because she could bring Cole back to a place of center and like a moral core in season one, maybe Cassie's going to do that with a deacon this season, which if that's the case, then I am all for seeing where that goes. Yeah, it's definitely something, um, like you said, it was hinted at by deacon that we'll see more develop. But uh, what did you think of Cole just quickly assimilating to, to 1944 and just um, really having a good time with it? I mean, uh, even when they get to the party, it seems like uh, there's a woman in particular that that just enjoys his company, and and he just he really likes it there. I really like seeing Cole enjoy a time period because in season one he was so let's stick to the mission, you know, like and Cassie was always like, hey, like let's dance, let's eat some food, let's have a good time. I think he's learned how to enjoy where he is because like there isn't, I mean, like it's like they're on the clock but they're not on the clock at the same time. Like, like they can take their time because they're out of time. And I think that Cole has really learned how to do that. Like how to still accomplish his mission while enjoying like wherever he is. And so I thought it was great that he had been there for a few months. Like, you know, he deserved a break and he deserved to wear a nice tailored suit and kind of flirt and have a whiskey sour. I, I like seeing laid back Cole because I feel like, I feel like he can be more of himself in that kind of environment as opposed to just let's, you know, stick to the mission. Yeah, it's 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 funny because it's like you said going back to the last season, it's almost like a complete role reversal. You know, now it's Cassie all mission and now it's Cole that's a little bit more, you know, let's take our time, it's you know, we'll we'll we will complete the mission. And I always think back to uh I don't remember if it's the first or second episode where he has a cheeseburger for the first time, which I thought was a really cool moment. Um, <clears throat> and it also makes me want to have a cheeseburger. But uh, but moving on from that, you know, uh, you know, like I said, it, it has become like a pretty much a role reversal because we do see Cassie is all business. And, and it, it I mean, for good reason. I mean, they go to this party where their plan is to run into the messengers and, and prevent them from uh, finding a Thomas Crawford who they think is connected somehow to – uh, the timelines and the virus, but they don't know how. That's the thing. They just know that this man is being targeted, and 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 you know they need to prevent this before anything happens. Um, Lauren, what did you think of of you know once they were able to locate uh, 
the messengers and, and uh, their plan didn't go well because the messengers still killed this man um and and it it you know it still kind of actually actually no it didn't have any effect on the timelines but what did you think of of how they were able to go about finding the messengers and then not stopping them did you like that or no yeah, I mean, it just goes back to that whole idea that at some point, like, the messengers are going to be ahead of them because this is the plan. Like, like the time travelers are coming in kind of last minute. Like, oh, we know there's messengers. We know they're up to something. We have no idea what they're going to do. But the messengers are a byproduct of at least 100 years of planning. And that's a lot of time, that's a lot of history to go up against. Like, they know who their target is. They know why they're supposed to kill him. You know, they know exactly, they just have, they just know so much more than the time travelers do. And so, yeah, I mean, Cassie and Cole were too late and they, they didn't get to save the guy from dying. But what's interesting is that what the 12 monkeys thought was supposed to happen didn't happen, which means they, they have a plan, but they don't have all the pieces either, which I think is really cool and kind of levels the playing field a little bit. And it also goes back to the theme that we've talked about the last two episodes where, you know, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but not Cole, not everyone, but Cole seems to think that, um, you know, if you kill somebody on a mission, that's going to change everything. And again, we see that that's not the case. Um, it's obviously it's obviously works more than that. But that does come back into play later in the episode when we find out that well, it wasn't this particular Thomas Crawford. It was another Thomas Crawford, <clears throat> Thomas Crawford Jr. to be exact. Uh, who do now? There was a uh, image of the twelve monkeys drawing left in that same room where the father, uh, Thomas Crawford, died. Um, was it clear to you if that was left by somebody else or if that was left by the by the messengers of the 12 monkeys? Well, my first thought, like my initial reaction, like the very first time I saw that on the screen was, oh, it looks like a child drew that. And like, you know, that's when the wheels started turning because like Cassie, when she sees that, her first response is, what the heck is that doing here? Like, like her and Cole's understanding of time is that this whole virus, 12 monkeys, Jennifer Goins thing is 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 like relevant to her timeline like 2015 2016 and like there's no way that anyone before that should know and so to see like the same monkey that jennifer draws in 1944 i think really i really it surprised me when they walked into the room but i think it really surprised them too but like it looks like a child's drawing and the fact that it's framed like a parent typically would only frame like a sketch like that if it was from his child so i'm like i'm curious to see where that's gonna go yeah it's um it does open up the uh wheels of of, of theories theories spiraling because we don't know who that who who left that but i mean it does make you think of of jennifer and how you know i mean that's all she drew when you first met her that's you know just that 12 monkeys uh symbol so you know with all this going on, there's there's a trail of bodies being left, and you know that's not something that's going to go unnoticed. And and we see that these uh, detectives are are quickly on on the case, and and can definitely suspect suspect something. You know, one of them was talking to Cole earlier in the party, definitely saw something off about him, and so immediately they pin everything on uh, Cassie and Cole. Um, now, as they you know gather gather themselves back together, they 
they they kind of search around the body and try to see if they can find some clues. Uh, they come across a, a paper uh, and that reveals that uh, Thomas Crawford Jr., the son, is actually the person they should be looking for. And and this is where we were just talking about how uh, this could be like it's it's almost like it's another version of Jennifer. Um, not version, but just um, another type of person that is like Jennifer, who does have these, um, you know, these images in their head. They're they're drawing the twelve monkeys, but but we don't know why. And, and to me, that's very interesting because there's obviously connection with this guy and Jennifer. And 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 Lauren, did you did you get any of that? Did, I mean, did you have any kind of theories going on in your head as to how this character can be connected to somebody that's in 2016? Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're really building up this narrative about primaries and what it means to be a primary. And, you know, the voices that they're hearing and the voices that Jennifer hears. And obviously, you know, this young man, if he's in an asylum, it's, it's, he's going to be experiencing the same types of things. And it's fascinating because that means that they're they're tuned into something, whether they're tuned into time or like the timeline. I'm not really sure exactly, but. They're obviously people who, like like Jennifer, when they destroyed the plague, she didn't have the injections in her, but she knew that time had changed. So, like, she's able to perceive time moving around her the same way that Cole and Cassie and Jones and Ramsey can. And I think this it's going to happen the same way with this young man, you know, which I think is just so, it's just fascinating, and I'm excited to see where it's all going. You know, um, and then, you know, let's go back to, or let's go t and forward uh, to 2044. And you had a brief moment of, of, of conversation between Katarina and uh, Ramsey. Basically, Ra uh, Katarina is telling Ramsey, you know, you're you're going to die um, after we learn what you know. Even though he's just, just continually said, I don't know anything. They basically used me. And there is nothing I can tell you that's going to change anything. Like I just, you know, you're you're grasping at straws by continuous, like having me locked up, you know, you know, tr stuffing my face in water and and you know, using my son against me. There's nothing I can tell you that's going to change anything. What did you think of of Katarina's methods and and how Ramsey really doesn't know anything beyond what he was doing with the Twelve Monkeys? Yeah, it's like they think he knows everything. It's like they're they're determined to get out of him anything that he might know. And, you know, Jones, she pretty much says that she wants to kill Ramsey, that that she's done with him being in her compound, which is, like, super scary and, like, not okay because I don't want Ramsey to die. You know, I don't want Kirk Acevedo to leave the show. So it's interesting that, like, Jones is always trying to maintain the safety of her base, and she knows that with Ramsey and Deacon kind of facing off against each other that that leaves her base vulnerable. Like, like she just makes such really interesting decisions, and so none of them have to do with emotion almost ever. So I thought that was interesting. You know, now, and now, now let's go back to twenty. Uh, I mean, not twenty. Uh, Nineteen forty-four. And so, with all the new information that Cole and Cassie have about this Thomas Crawford Jr. and how he might be connected, now they head over to the asylum and they go looking for the guy. Which is it's 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 just kind of crazy because it it goes back to when they first met Jennifer and I mean this guy's drawing you know the 12 monkey symbol on the wall uh, he knows that there's something coming he knows they're coming for him um, and and you know when 
Cole and Cassie do make it into his room finally, they see not only the painting of the 12 monkey on the wall, but they see uh, almost kind of like a scary drawing up on the ceiling of the Red Forest. Um, you know, and w what did you think of that, uh, Lauren? Because I know that Jennifer has mentioned that many times, you know, the Red Forest and, and you know, Cassie knows of it too. What did you think of, of how that all came together? That was incredible. And, you know, the actor who's playing uh, Crawford's son, his name is Eric Knudsen, and he is by far one of my favorite Canadian actors because he is he was on Continuum for four seasons. Did you ever see Continuum, Pete? Uh, I did not. Okay, so Continuum is another time travel show, and it's it's completely different than 12 monkeys in like a million ways possible, but it's this fascinating time travel show that was on sci-fi as well. And his character played this like super tech genius, but he was like just a kid. Um, and so like when he showed up on screen, I was like, Oh my God, it's Alex Sadler from continuum. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy seeing him. And like, he's it's this role is really different than the role that he played on continuum. And yeah, I mean, obviously he can see the monkeys and he can see the Red Forest, which, you know, the Red Forest seemed like a really big deal in season one with the way that Cassie was, like, having those visions. The, you know, she would hear Olivia say, I forget what the first part was, but, like, you're standing in a Red Forest and all the blood is washed away. But then, like, when Cassie saw the red leaves in the finale, like, nothing really happened. So, like, I was kind of confused what that meant, but it feels like they're going to pick up the Red Forest storyline in this season in a big way. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I just I did think it was kind of creepy how it was drawn on the wall. Like, it, it, it started on the side of the wall and then kind of went up to the ceiling. Definitely really freaky, and I don't know how the heck he did that, but that was uh, interesting how, how it was executed. Um, but, you know, moving on, we, we see Cassie and Cole just go in search of of this guy, Tommy Crawford. And, you know, of course, while they're doing it, they run into the messengers. We have another standoff, uh, but not before uh, Cassie, you know, takes out one of the messengers. And uh, pretty much what happens is the messenger now has Cole. Cassie has the has Tommy Crawford. And, 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 and once again, we're at a standoff. So the only way to resolve that, obviously, is to make a switch. But we know that there's something more to this Tommy. We, we know there's something more to this Tommy Crawford character. It's just not as simple as giving him back the messengers. We don't know that actually killing this guy is actually going to have an effect on the timelines. So, of course, what Cassie does, she has to. She forms some little plan of having them switch, but having Tommy's, you know, you know, drop at the last moment so she could shoot the messenger. And unfortunately, what Tommy does is he says, I, I'm sorry, I realize I'm supposed to die today. I really, you know, he, he's accepted his his fate. You know, it's it's almost like Jennifer, when she was trying to release the virus uh, and trying to find someone to either to she's trying to find someone to kill her because she accepted what she was about to do. Um, and it was a bad thing. He's accepted that this is where his timeline stops he knows that he is a he is a part of, of something bigger but but his life his his time is is over at this point what did you think of 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 how he handled that situation and and how he was totally okay with just having the messenger kill him i feel like he knows enough about time to know when you can't fight it 
And maybe he was tired. I mean, he was like really gaunt and you could tell he was really malnourished and, you know, probably had experienced some kind of electric shock therapy. I think for him, he knew that his life was over and like he would rather just die and like fulfill his quote unquote purpose than to try to fight it and try to like, I I feel like the, like the primaries live on the edge of suicide all the time. I mean, this is the second time we've seen a character who deals with these kind of voices and like mental torment. And, you know, I have family members who deal with mental illness. So like, I, I kind of know a little bit about what they experience and it, it makes sense that like Jennifer has wanted to end her life twice. And so if this guy was like, okay with ending his life, I can see how I can see how, why he would do it. Like you just get so tired of fighting all of these like voices and like, just just the like sense of craziness that he was able to say you know what i'm done like do what you came here to do and it was kind of noble in a sense but like it wasn't serving like it was serving the cause of the 12 monkeys which was like a really bad thing because we saw like how crazy his paradox was you know when when it happened yeah, we, we full-on see the paradox uh, happen. It's, it's like this humongous explosion that happens as well. Um, it, was, it was extremely crazy how, how that happened. But I thought what was really cool about that scene as well was while we're seeing this go on, running parallel with the scene is Deacon taking Ramsey out to basically bury him, bury, uh, dig up his own grave. Um, you know, they, they go out to the middle of the forest and and you know it's it's feeling like uh, this is going to be the end of Deacon. I mean, I'm sorry, the end of Ramsey. Uh, Lorna, what did you think of that about that thing? I know how much you love Ramsey, so it it couldn't have been easy when you know they're out in the middle of the forest and there's there's nobody there. I mean, it's 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 Ramsey and and Deacon and two or three of his other men. I mean, there's I mean, it would take an, uh, a miracle to save Ramsey, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it was a Red Forest miracle. I mean, the thing that that we didn't want to happen, you know, we didn't want this young man to get paradoxed in the past because when it happened, it started to release this Red Forest effect in the future, which was really scary. But that Red Forest effect saved Ramsey's life. And then he ended up saving Deacon's life. So I'm, I'm really glad that yeah, Ramsey didn't die. I would have been really upset if if that had actually happened. Yeah, it was pretty close there for a minute. We were, it was. I'm I'm sure you were sitting on pins and needles because that was uh, that was a pretty crazy moment. But what was even crazier was when the paradox was happening. You know, we kind of had something similar to when you know the virus went up in flames, and you got you kind of saw you know uh, the the world around them changing and altering. Uh, but then when when this the paradox was happening. You know, you saw Deacon's men uh, were like almost uh, deformed or, or in the process of being deformed. It was it was a really bizarre scene, but really, really nicely handled. I thought that was really cool to see because it was just it was just, a, uh, you know, showing how uh, the paradox uh, can really affect, a, you know, things around you. But my question is, why wasn't it affecting, you know, someone like Deacon uh, or, or really anyone else that still survived beyond that? Because, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't I guess I'm curious. I guess I'm wanting to know what is the big difference with the paradox where obviously um, it can it can alter certain things because we saw that in the forest scene versus, you know, when they put the virus up in flames and 
timelines completely changed. I guess I'm. Do you have a pretty good handle on what you think is is uh, the big differences with those two moments? Yeah, I would say that when they torched the virus, they were literally changing the future. But a paradox is something completely different. Like a paradox affects time itself. Like a paradox affects like the actual structure of time. Whereas just changing something like getting rid of the virus, it it changes the sequence of events. Like it would be like if you change the future, you rearrange the furniture in a house. Like, oh, that wall is actually blue instead of green. And, you know, we didn't remodel the kitchen last year because of whatever. But like when you paradox somebody, it's like it's like changing the foundation of the house or like knocking out entire walls in a house. Like, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but like the effect is totally different. Like a paradox, like literally affects the structure of time. And so I think that's why it was able to like literally kill Deacon's people because like it was creating like life and death in the very same moment. And I think Ramsey and Deacon were just able to outrun it just by mere by mere chance. I mean, you could say it was fate, obviously, but like they were able to outrun it before it caught up to them. You know, and and also going on in the middle of this, like I said, there was a huge explosion at the asylum that knocked out everybody. Um, it looked like the messenger. Uh, I'm not sure if she's dead or not, but she looked pretty pretty knocked out. Um, you know, you had Cole Cole and Cassie just. I mean, they were knocked out as well. Um, Thomas Crawford is dead, so his story definitely ends there. Uh, unless they splinter back before that time, um, you know, and then obviously the tech detectives come in and, and have no idea what they're what they're seeing. Um, you know, how do you think this is going to affect things? Because we now what also happens in that moment is Katarina learns that that they're not tethered uh, to uh, they lost the location of Cassie and Cole. There's no way to bring them back now. So they've got to figure out another plan. Um, what did you think about how that pretty much threw everything into a rut? I mean, this is, um, I mean, they're they're stuck there. I mean, there's there's basically no way to bring them back at at the moment. Yeah, that was so crazy to hear that they lost the tether. I don't know if they've ever lost the tether before. I mean, maybe when, maybe when Cole was stuck in Chechnya in that one episode. Mm-hmm. There may have been a lost tether, but I think this is the first time we've really we've really seen that, and that's terrifying. I mean, like the last thing you want is to have to leave Cole and Cassie in 1944, because that's literally a hundred year difference. Like they wouldn't survive. They, like they couldn't walk up to the base at like 120 and like knock on the door and be like, "Hi, you know, you left <laughs> us back there." <laughs> I mean, they could try. They did have those yeah. ejection enhancements. Um, I don't think they would make it for 100 years. So uh, I'm excited to see episode four because I have a strong feeling it's going to be a rescue, like a rescue mission where they're going to have to like try to find a way to like rescue them and bring them back. So let me ask you this then. Seeing as Katarina has very few options, do you think she would send Deacon or do you think she would send uh, Ramsey? You know, I I would love to see Deacon turn into a time traveler because he has no couth, like no chill whatsoever. <laughs> he, it's like putting a lion like in like a petting zoo. Like if he were to be sent back, I think that would really change the whole dynamic of the show because he's just so used to guns blazing. Like he's used to being the top dog in a very small, you know, little world there. And to be put back in a place with cars and lights and sounds and traffic, like, and he, 
you're not really allowed to mess with the timeline too much. I think it would be great to see Deacon go back. I mean, I'm sure they'll probably send Ramsey, but I, I would love to see Deacon, like, at the end of season two, get stuck with an injection and, like, have to go on some sort of time-traveling mission. Oh, that would be the best. That would be the best to see Deacon uh, time travel and just have to get used to a new to new uh, environment. Um, you know, just it would be I almost think it would be similar to Cole's first experience in season one, going back in time and just being completely, uh, you know, uh, just just have everything around him just being brand new. And he's not he's just completely trying to, to adapt in any way he can. I mean, <clears throat> and and Deacon's obviously a completely different character than Cole, so it would be even more interesting to watch him uh, time travel and, and, and adapt to his new surroundings. That would be a lot of fun. I mean, um, I feel like I feel like Deacon would be a lot like Heatwave on Legends of Tomorrow <laughs> and like just wanna stay and like start a biker gang and like <laughs> get a bunch of girlfriends and just like, you know, rob banks or something. Yeah, in the right in the right timeline like that, oh he would definitely do it, I think for sure. It would be the exact same thing. And <laughs> that would be fun to watch too. Just because he's you know, uh he's such a good character. I really enjoy watching him. So. And he would totally rock a sideways fedora and like a pinstripe suit. Can you imagine with the little like those little guns that they had back in the nineteen forties? Like yes. yeah. Oh man, that would be so much fun to that watch. That would be or great. Even, I mean, you know, let's even put him, like, in the 20s during Prohibition. That would be awesome. Yeah, he'd be, like, running a speakeasy and, like, beat guys up to, like, rat him out. It'd be great to see him in, like, the Wild Wild West as well. I feel like Deacon would make, like, a really good, like, sheriff. But, like, the sheriff you could bribe if you, like, wanted to get away with something. (laughs) Oh, man. I hope we're giving them ideas because this would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, You know, I I wanted to ask you, Lauren, we're – you know, obviously, we're learning a lot about primaries and and how that's connected Tommy Crawford and, and Jennifer Goins and how they have these visions and obviously they have these these voices in their heads as well that is telling them uh, what to do and 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 how things are going to happen. Do you think we'll meet more primaries or do you think it's it's very localized to these specific characters? Maybe maybe one or two other people. I think for sure we'll meet more. I think that there's. Well, there's probably 12 because they're, well, I guess if they went back two messengers at a time, maybe there's six. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe, okay. Well, obviously they have to be a prime number because that would just make sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think we are going to see more of them. I, you know, I know that I think, I think six messengers made it through. And if they're going in pairs, then I'm sure we'll see at least maybe three total this season. Okay. Yeah, that, that would make sense because I think I, I was reading something in an interview where Terry Metalis was talking about how, you know, they, they have like a, it is there even more story to tell beyond this season. And it'd be interesting to see if we get to see that, you know, uh, uh, realized and, and, and see more and more primaries, uh, come around and, and, and see, you know, how much similar they are to, to Crawford and, and Jennifer Goins that we've, you know, we've already seen so far, or, or even in their personalities, like, you know, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't, they don't have to be exactly like, like, uh, like they don't even have to be exactly like Jennifer or Tommy. They can be completely different, which I think would throw an interesting uh, wrench into it because if they were to run into somebody like that, you're expecting this eccentric 
type person, you're expecting this kind of crazy craziness to them. And what if they're just completely opposite of that? I mean, that would be kind of interesting, don't you think? Yeah, like, let's say they were on, like, a lot of medication or, like, they figured out a way to, like, tune everything out, you know? I think it would be interesting to see primaries who were different or even to see primaries who were kids. Like, kids tend to believe in, like, what they can't see a lot more than adults do. And so I'm sure that if there was a child who was a primary, like, the child would probably understand a lot more about what was happening as opposed to, like, an adult or someone like Jennifer who's always trying to fight it. Like, I bet if they ran into a kid who was a primary, the kid would be like, oh, yeah, this is who the 12 monkeys are. This is the red forest. Like, this is how you get there. Like, I feel like kids just have, like, a better way of understanding, like, the supernatural. And it would be fun to see, like, a kid try to explain, like, what was going on. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Um, and it makes you wonder, like, who else... I mean, who else could be a primary and, and how that, you know, how that could affect uh, the story moving forward. So, um, but yeah, I, I loved this episode. Uh, I thought it was so much fun. You know, we, we talked about the period piece stuff. Um, very intriguing learning of Tommy Crawford and how he is he was a primary <clears throat> and how, you know, we were able to relate that back to Jennifer Goins. Um, you know, I, I... Like I said, this is probably my favorite episode of not just this season, but of the series. Um, they had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I thought the story was was just getting even better. And, and who knows what the future holds uh, as far as episode three. Because, you know, we don't know if this messenger girl is dead. We don't know, um, you know, if she is, you know, for all we know, this was her mission. And then she thought, you know... Uh, or you know I well I don't even know like who knows what she had planned for even once she killed Tommy and that was done what her next plan was to was to do because it's not like she can just win her back to 2044 um, you know and she uh, and then she you know didn't kill Cassie or Cole so who knows if that was done on purpose or you know or if she really did just not kill them um, I mean what do you are, are you have any particular expectations for for what you saw and, and what's going to happen in uh, episode four? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, she knew, like, the messenger knew that she couldn't kill Cole. Like, she knew that he was important to the timeline, and she knew that he was important to the Twonkies. And she was, like, she heard him. You know, she gave him the electric shock therapy, but she didn't do that to kill him. Like, she could have, but she didn't. And I, I did think that was interesting. One other thing that we didn't really get to talk about was Cole and Cassie have a really powerful conversation. And, like, he apologizes for, like, making her what she is. But then she mentions Aaron. And, like, that's the first time that I've seen Cassie, like, almost cry this season. Because she's been so hard on the outside. But then she brings up Aaron and Cole is like so apologetic about that. And I almost forgot that like so much of what Cassie is dealing with is post-traumatic stress. And it is all those coping mechanisms for how you deal with something really traumatic. And I think, I think having to watch Aaron die in the fire was probably the most traumatic thing that Cassie had ever experienced in her life. And I, I like that they address that. I know sometimes on shows like, especially when like female characters lose like their, their husband or their fiance, like on the flash, like Iris West lost her fiance and Caitlin Snow lost her husband. Like, but they, the show doesn't really have time to show either of those characters grieving. 
I really appreciated the fact that 12 Monkeys let Cassandra, like, talk about Aaron and how, like, his death affected her. And, like, she blames Cole for that, which that further explains why they have a rift between them. Like, what did you think about, what like, that conversation? It was a very interesting conversation. A very, uh, very, I mean, that was, it was sad because you, you, like you said, we haven't really seen or heard Cassie talk about Aaron since he died. And that it, it really, there hasn't been a moment, I guess, for her to even uh, share her feelings, I guess. I, I Maybe maybe part of that is because uh, after that happened, there was such a, so much of a whirlwind that happened, and then she got splintered, and then she changed in that amount of time. So, you know, she's taking this opportunity to say, this is how I feel. Oh, we, you know, we never had that chance, so I'm giving, I'm telling you now, this is how, this is why I'm mad at you, um, and, and, you know, it's just... I felt bad for Cole too because you know I mean I, I I'm I'm trying to remember I remember how he died but I wish to remember how Aaron was kind of getting mixed up with uh, Olivia right Yeah Aaron yeah. Aaron I mean Aaron is the reason that Cole's father is dead mm-hmm. So it so, wasn't like it was so I guess what I'm saying is like it wasn't like you know uh, it was just something for Cole to take care of in the timeline. Like, Aaron kind of put himself in the crossfire. But, you know, I mean, Cassie's love for Aaron stretches so far that I don't think she would... It's almost like she's she wouldn't... It's one of those things where you wouldn't want to hear, hear it because then it becomes true. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I, I think what was really powerful about their conversation was Cole says, I know what I've cost you. Like, Cole knows that by... by breaking into her car in 2014 and then having her go to that hotel like she lost her medical license and like her medical career was like going down the drain like Cole knows that he completely interrupted her entire life and then Cassie says yeah and what about Aaron and I think Aaron like he was such an interesting character last season because he didn't care about the plague he didn't care about time travel all he cared about was Cassandra and while that was a powerful emotion for him to have ultimately it betrayed him because he sold them out to Olivia and you know Cole's dad paid the price for that which was just terrible to like watch your own father die like so Cassie and Cassandra I mean Cole and Cassandra they have both witnessed the people that they loved the most die in front of their eyes and with Cole's dad it was because of Aaron and with Aaron it was kind of because of Cole because like they were interrogating him and there was the fire it's like their whole relationship is a mess <laughs> and like I'm glad that they addressed it because mm-hmm. I kind of forgot that all of that had happened like I couldn't figure out why they were at odds with each other but like that conversation really shed some light on why Cassandra was just so pissed at Cole <clears throat> yeah it was um no that was it was a really good moment with them because like you said look we really haven't we really haven't seen that, um, and yeah, it was it was good to see uh, Cassie just finally just you know let it all out because clearly it's been holding it been it's she's been holding it in, so that was a really good moment. And you know, uh, obviously, like you said their their relationship is really damaged right now, um, you know. And and if there's any kind of of hope for any reconciliation, true reconciliation between them, um, I mean, we we got to hope that at least it, it comes at some point during the middle towards the end of the season because right now they're worlds apart. <clears throat> um, all right, so I think that's going to do it for our 12 Monkeys talk. Did you want anything else, Lauren? 
Um, no, I, I thought the the whole 1944 storyline was really fascinating. I really liked the actress who played the messenger, Scotty Thompson. And yeah, I mean, I when the plague was destroyed, I had no idea where they were going to take the series next because that felt like like they were almost tying up a lot of what happened in season one. I think I said this last week, like, what? The plague is gone? Like, what does that mean for the show? Like, what does that mean for the direction that they're going to take the show? And now we have this whole other plot. We have these rogue messengers who are killing these very important people, you know, the primaries. And so I thought it was great. I think it's a great, like a great direction for the season to take. I think it's going to allow Cassie and Cole to kind of bounce around a couple different time eras, which I think is exciting. And yeah, I'm glad that Ramsey was able to save Deacon and that they made it out of the Red Forest. And I'm really curious to see like why the Red Forest is kind of taking over 2044. Yeah, um, a lot of questions, a lot of questions, and a lot of theories, but um, I'm excited about episode four. I know Lauren is. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how things go from here. Oh, man, just like I said last week, just the stakes are going up and up with this show, and this show, like I said, is by far my favorite of the series so far. This show just keeps getting better. So much fun. So so exciting. Um, All right, so that is going to do it for our show this week. Uh, Lauren, why don't you tell everyone, everyone where they can find you at? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Galloway. I'm also a contributor for Comic Book Resources, currently recapping The Flash and Arrow on comicbookresources.com. Tuesday nights, we do The Flash podcast. Uh, Thursday nights, we do Legends of Tomorrow. And yeah, as Pete said in the intro, I also co-run a website called The Marvel Report, and we cover Marvel TV shows, Marvel comics, Marvel video games, just anything that Marvel you guys can think of. So if if you are a fan of Marvel, please check us out at themarvelreport.com. And you can find me at Pacing Pete on Twitter. You can find all our content over at thegww.com. Just look under podcasts and you'll find Scene and Nerd. Uh, follow our iTunes feed, subscribe so you won't miss out on our after show, which comes out immediately following every new episode of 12 Monkeys. Uh, because we're having a lot of fun. We hope you are having a lot of fun as well. So. Until next week, have a good night. This has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks, assemble!